today we're in the fifth week of our study on total transformation. And today we come to the topic of transformed through love. So let us ask God's blessing on our time together. Father, we are thankful for your love. And it's because you first loved us that we can truly love. And Father, we thank you, Father, for your word that instructs us in how to live and how to love one another. And Lord, we just pray. We pray over this word that we're about to study. Lord, would you solidify your truth in our hearts, Lord? And would you clarify for us, Lord, what you call us to do? And would you give us the will to follow and to do what you've called us to So, Father, we thank you for this time. It is truly uh, a blessing to be able to come together as your body uh, to spend time together today. And we pray, Father, that this time will be fruitful and that it will bear fruit in our lives through what we learn here today. We thank you and commit all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said a minute ago, we've been in this series on total transformation. And last week, uh, Drew talked to us about transformed through liberty. And as I was putting this series together, and I was looking at the different topics that were jumping out at me, it seemed that um, Paul mentioned love in chapter 13, and he mentioned it again in 14. And so I wanted to wait until we talked about love to kind of bring all that together So that's where we are today. And as we look at uh, chapter 13, in chapter uh, verses 1 through 7, he's just uh, finished telling the church members at Rome um, that if they have any obligations to the governmental authorities, then they are to fulfill those obligations and pay what they owe. And in beginning in verse 8, he begins to talk about how they are related to one another. So we're going to read uh, in chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, and then in chapter 14, we'll read uh, verse 15 through verse 20. So chapter 13 of Romans is found on page 923. And beginning in verse 8, it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And then at the end of verse 14, chapter 14, beginning at verse 15, it says, If your brother or sister is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. So do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
The one who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and has human approval. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. And this is the word of the Lord. So as I said in uh, chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, Paul begins by talking about love and the relationship that the members of this church body are to have with one another. And he tells them that they are to owe nothing to each other except love. And unlike the other debts they may have with regard to the government, the debt that they have to one another to love one another is a debt that is really never fulfilled. It is an ongoing call to love one another. And the other thing about this love is that he says that this commandment fulfills all of the other ones. So, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet. All of those are summed up in this one commandment to love one another. And as I thought about that, I, I looked around and I looked at what I see sometimes. And I said, how is it that this love that he talks about can, can do that? You know, how is it that it can sum up everything else? And, I, and I'm sure that, you know, I love that what Paul does in, this, in this, uh, this letter is that he talks to both the Gentiles and the Jews. And, and I'm sure as a, a Jewish Christian, their ears... Uh, lit up when he said that because they were so concerned with the law and the requirements of the law even though they were now Christians and he's saying that this one commandment sums up all of the others and so as I thought about it, I said what, what really is that and as I, I looked deeper um, at the Greek this word is um, one that we're probably all familiar with and the form of it that's used in, this, in these verses is agapao which we know probably more, we're more familiar with the cognate of it, which is agape. And there was a time, um, about 10, 15, maybe 20 years ago, when that's all you heard, everybody went agape, agape, we're supposed to agape one another. And um, that's what Paul is teaching about here. And it's a, it's a term that's rarely used in extra-biblical Greek, and that means it's rarely used outside of this biblical context. And I remember being taught that it was about, uh, this word was about the unconditional love of God. And that is true. It is about the unconditional love that God has for us. But it's also about the love that we are called to have for one another. And what it really means is that it's to have a preference for or to wish well to or to regard the welfare of another. So what it means is how I feel about what concerns you, what your desires are, are summed up in this form of love that prefers what you need over what I need. And there's a second really interesting thing about this love. It's not a love that's a, a great emotionally driven love, um, although it may have some emotional um, contact with it emotional context with it, but the real thing is that it's a love that you choose to do. 
Um, so this is a commandment that God gives us, and we choose to love each other in this way. And it's a, the same love, the same word is used in John 3.16 when, when the scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That love, that soul love that God expressed is the same kind of love that we are to have for one another. So the same way that that love motivated God to do something on our behalf, even though it would be a great consequence for him, great pain and suffering for him, we are called to do the same thing for one another. And it really blew my mind as I thought about it. And I said, well, man, you know, we're not doing that in so many ways. We're not. I'm not living that out and really preferring someone else's needs over my own. You know, it's just not happening. And, and um, I thought about it and I said, there's two principles that really jumped out at me that I wanted to share with you. And one of them is this. When we love God and choose to love each other in the way that he commands, our relationship is transformed from one of preference to one of deference. When we love God and choose to love each other in the way that he commands, our relationship is transformed from one of preference to one of deference. And what deference is, it is an ingratiating regard for one another wishes, one another's wishes. And I would add one another's needs as well. And for me, everything comes back to what we do here on Sunday morning. Because that's what I do, that's what my, my passion is. And so when I think about that concept, I can't help but think about how that applies to worship. And, you know, when I look at us, when I look at congregations I've been a part of in other parts of the country, and when I look at other churches I'm not a part of, it seems like we come to church on Sunday morning, when we come together, like we come into a restaurant. And so we come, like we can order what, you know, I want that type of song, and I want us to, to worship in that way, and that's what I want, because that's what speaks to me. And I just want to say, newsflash, it's not Burger King. <laughs> you don't get to have it your way. That's not what it's about. And it's not why God gave us to one another. He gave us to one another to be in a relationship to, with one another and to care for one another's needs. You know, we have two chief motivations as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And the first is to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the other one that Paul mentions here, and it's also mentioned in Leviticus 19.18, is that we are to love one another as ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I thought about that. I said, man, how... How, what does that really mean? And for me, it means that I'm supposed to love you as though I was loving me. I'm supposed to care about you and your needs and your wants as though I was caring for my very own. That just absolutely blew my mind. Because that's what God wants us to do. That's what, not only what he wants us to do, 
That's what he commands us to do. But most of the time, we are focused on meeting our own needs and our own wants. And then if I can meet mine first, then I'll spend some time working on meeting yours. But mine take priority. And that's not what honors God. And the second principle is this. When we love God and choose to love each other in the way that he commands, our relationship becomes one of mutual upbuilding. When we love God and choose to love each other in the way that he commands, our relationship becomes one of mutual upbuilding. And that's what I see in chapter 14. You know, he's just finished talking about liberty in the first part of it. And he's talking to these Gentile and uh, Jewish believers, and particularly to the Gentiles, as Jew mentioned last week. And he's telling them, you know, look, you have freedom to eat whatever you desire. But what, if what you're eating is causing a problem for your Jewish brothers and sisters, then you're not walking in love. And that's what he's saying in these last few verses. If you're doing something that's causing them to stumble, that's making it difficult for them to be in community with you, then you are not walking in love. And that's a pretty heavy indictment. To not be walking in love. But in reality, we know that's what we do sometimes. We don't have um, problems with food. We eat together all the time, probably too much. So that's not an issue for us. But we do have other things um, that are issues. And I think that's how it applies to us. We come with our own preferences. We come with our own backgrounds. We come with our own wants, wishes, desires, needs, um, specifications. And I get to hear a lot of them. And um, we all come with them. But if our wants and needs are placed above those who we are in community with, then we are not walking in love. And, this, and, and if they're not really helping them to grow and be built up in the faith, we're not walking in love. The scripture also says that the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not about all these things that we make it about. And you know, I thought about it. I said, you know... I need to really pay attention more to what my brother and my sister needs. Because if I do that, then we both are built up. And you say, well, how is that possible? How is caring for the needs of someone else going to benefit you? And the thing is, when, when I am focused primarily on what I want and what I need and what I like, and you are focused primarily on what you like and what you want and what you need, we're not connecting with one another. It really makes us more and more separated from one another. But when my primary focus after God, my next focus is then how can I meet your needs? How can I bring something to the table that really speaks to your heart? then that's going to speak something to you. You're going to respond to that. And then you're going to say, man, you know, Karen's really reaching out to me. She's really making an effort to meet my needs. 
I'm going to think about doing something for her. And so what that does is that draws us together rather than farther apart. I used an example in the first service. I'm going to use a different one this time because I used apples, and apples didn't work with Drew and what I wanted to say. Um, but I know that Drew is a really good barbecuer. He's had us over to his house a few times, and he can burn. <laughs> and so let's just say that I'm at the market, and I, um, I see this um, piece of lamb on sale, and he made this great lamb for us. It was awesome. And um, I said, man, I know Drew likes this, and it's on sale. I think I'm going to pick it up for him. And I said, you know, Drew, I, I saw this, and I know you like to grill. So I'm, I, I thought, man, you would, you would do something awesome with this. I hope you and your family, you know, enjoy it. And then maybe um, I'm out, and I see something else. I see, oh, they have these um, cedar planks on sale. And I know, you know, he also likes seafood, and, you know, you can do some salmon on that, that plank. And do you like seafood? Okay, good. <laughs> I see. I said, I'm gonna pick up one. I don't think he has one. I'm gonna pick this up for him. All right, all right. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. <laughs> and um, and I said, you know, Joe, I just been thinking. So I saw this man. I think, man, you'd like this. Or you know, I, I go by his house. I said, oh, you know. That spot needs a plant. I saw one down the street. I'm going to pick it up for them. You know, and I just do these little things, just things that I just want to do because I want to enrich his life, his experience. And if I do that, Drew's going to say, man, you know, Karen bought me that nice piece of meat. Maybe I'll give her some of it. <laughs> you know, so then I begin to reap something from my investment in him. Not that I did it for that purpose, but it does something in the heart and life of the person that I'm doing it for, and then they want to respond to me. It's the same thing with what we do in here. If we can focus on meeting the other's needs, they in turn, I guarantee you, are going to respond and want to meet our needs. So how does that apply to us in a practical sense? You know, if I'm really focused on what I want in worship, I'm not really thinking about you. But if I really say, you know what, this person, what can I do to really help them to connect with God and grow in their relationship? What can I do? If I focus on, you know, giving up something that I like and am really tied to in place of something that really speaks to them, they're going to be a different person because of it. And I'm going to be a different person because of it. And then what I do, it makes me, it puts me in a position of vulnerability. Because then I'm trusting you with the things that are important to me. And then you in turn say, you know what, I really appreciate that something in this is being done that really speaks to me. Then I want to make sure that something in this whole exchange really speaks to you. And we begin pouring into one another and it changes the entire relationship that we have with one another. And the thing about it is when we're focused on self-preservation and self-protection, that kind of relationship just doesn't happen. We're not thinking about one another and what one another needs because we're so focused on ourselves. And it draws us apart rather than together. But when we focus on one another, we build trust in one another and we build a relationship with one another. And we begin to respect for each, each other's thoughts and needs and desires and ways of connecting with God. So we aren't divided by food. But we have to ask the question of 
Where is it that we are unwilling to surrender our wishes and deference to one another? Where is it that we're primarily focused on preserving our own preferences, needs, wishes, or desires? Wherever those places are, are places where we are not walking in love. And God commands us to walk in love. And this this was a really important concept for Paul. Uh, One of the commentators uh, that I read had this to say about Paul's uh, commitment to this kind of love. He says that in general, Paul's desire was to adapt his way of life as much as possible to the way of life of the people around him in order to win as many as he could to Christ. He was not a self-centered perspective, but an others-centered perspective. In Paul's thinking, the truth of Christian freedom must always be tempered by the awareness that we live not in isolation, but in the presence of others, both Christians and non-Christians, whose decisions for or against Christ are constantly being influenced by our actions. For the sake of Christ's work then, both the work of evangelism and the work of discipleship, we are called to give up our rights for the sake of others. How true that is, yet how difficult for us. That's not something our flesh wants to do. But you know, the world is looking at us. And what they need to see in us is real love, real respect, real honor, real appreciation of one another. The kind of love that sacrifices for one another. Another place that this whole idea of agape, love, is presented is in 1 John chapter 4. I want to read a little bit of that. First John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. And it says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. For God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. As I said a minute ago, the world needs to see us love one another, really love one another. We do really well at loving one another after We've taken care of ourselves. 
But what this love is, preferring you over me. There was a saying about 10 years ago, it's, it's not about you. And each of us needs to say that to ourselves. It's not about me. But it's about that person that sits across the aisle from me. Or who sits uh, across the room from me. Or who sits in the other service who I don't even have a connection really with. It's about that person. What can I do to make room for them? What can I do to make sure their needs are met? Do I trust God enough to believe that if I surrender my needs, my wants, my desires, and my preferences for theirs, that he will ensure that mine are met? Am I willing to trust this brother and this sister enough to make room for them? Am I willing? Because it is a commandment, but it's also a choice. And we're all called to make that choice. And, I, and I, I look at the world and I think, man, they must not see what they think love is supposed to be in us. They don't see us doing anything different than what they're doing. If we're really going to impact the world for Christ, if we're really going to build one another up and encourage one another and help one another to be all that Christ calls us to be, we have got to walk in love. And love requires a sacrifice. It just does. You can't love without sacrificing something. That's the model that we have in Jesus. He sacrificed it all for us. And he calls us to sacrifice for one another. For the one another's that he loves and died for. That's the question that we have to answer. Are we going to love one another that way? Because if we don't, there's no real transformation. Because there's no real love. The challenge for us as Christians is to stop protecting what we love and begin protecting those whom God loves and whom we are commanded to love. I'll say that again. The challenge for us as Christians is to stop protecting what we love and begin protecting those whom God loves and whom we are commanded to love. You know, anytime I'm working on a sermon, there's always at some point some song that kind of comes to my mind, and um, this time was no different. Um, not a Christian song, but I think that um, it really captures what we're talking about here. And it's a song that has been recorded more than 100 times. And it was played in 1968 after Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Before he died, as he was in the hospital, um, for 26 hours they played this song on repetition. As kind of a cry out that something needed to change. Our world was being turned upside down. And somebody said, 
what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. We live in a world today that is desperate to see real love lived out before them. Desperate for it. And we have the key, we have the key and we have the command. The question is, what are we going to do with it? We didn't talk about this, but in chapter 13, after the section that we read, Paul talks to them about the urgency that exists in them to now begin living out this love and living in accordance with biblical principles. So the time is now past, the night is over, the day is coming. And if he thought that then, how much more urgent is the call to us to live in love and to love one another as ourselves. What sacrifice are you willing to make for love? What sacrifice are we willing to make in the name of love? Let us pray. Father,